Happy Chinese New Year, I think. What a, an eventful, uh, earth-shaking lunar year this has been. Uh, Brexit finally happened. Virus going around, scaring everybody. Uh, National Council of Churches of Singapore has issued a statement that can be found on their website. Uh, I'd like to ask you to go and read it. It's a call to prayer, a reminder that God is with us and we can always turn to Him. In fact, last week, that was what uh, Pastor Lee said. He said to keep loving and trusting God. And remember that God's presence is always with us. Today, we're going back to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 26. Another long passage, but a very straightforward passage. It's actually all about faithfulness. So I'm going to read it out to you now. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Romans 3, reading from verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us of saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Now as we look to it, Lord, we pray you open our hearts and minds to you that your word may live in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know that Romans is a long letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, to the Christians in Rome. Now in those ancient days, some of the letters that the Romans wrote to each other were actually very short. And they were nothing more than letters of introduction or recommendation. So they merely introduced the person delivering the letter, the letter carrier, and commended that person to the recipient of the letter. So for example, the letter might go, Antonius to Publius, greetings, the person in front of you is my nephew Gaius. When he speaks, imagine that I am in front of you speaking. In other words, the message was entrusted to the letter carrier, to the messenger. He knew the message. He probably memorized it verbatim, but he could also elaborate on the message. The letter served to identify him and to give him the credentials to deliver the message. The letter, right, the letter carrier was the message. Of course, the letter writer then had to pick someone he really trusted. Otherwise, the letter carrier might deliver a different message, a more self-serving message, for example, or even a message that some enemy had paid him to substitute. So you had to pick the right person to entrust with the message. And that is what Paul is talking about here at the start of chapter 3. In verse 2, he says, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Paul was writing also to Gentile believers in Rome. And they were probably not interested in Jewish law. So that's why Paul uses the word oracles, which refers to a divine message. Gentiles, as you know, were all people that were non-Jews. What Paul is saying is that the ancient Jews were entrusted with God's message. They were called to be the light of the world, to be a blessing to the whole world. They were supposed to deliver that message and to show who God is. But they failed. They failed to deliver the message. They sort of kept the message to themselves. They separated themselves from others. Instead of drawing people to God, they prevented people from approaching God. Now in the ancient temple in Jerusalem, in Jesus' day, on the Temple Mount, there was a low wall, a balustrade, before you came to the temple proper. And on the wall was an inscription, repeated at intervals. I think I might have showed it to you a few years ago, but here it is again. 
It's called the Sorak inscription, S-O-R-E-G, meaning wall inscription. And the inscription read that any stranger crossing that wall would be responsible for his own death. The inscription was in both Greek and Hebrew. Inscription was not in, sorry, Greek and Latin. The inscription was not in Hebrew. So these inscriptions were directed at non-Jews. In other words, anybody who was not a Jew and who tried to approach the temple would be killed. So this was not drawing people to God. This was preventing people from approaching God. Israel had failed as a messenger of God. They had failed to deliver the message. But then Paul goes on to say that just because Israel was unfaithful, it doesn't mean God is unfaithful. On the contrary, God will remain faithful and he will continue with his plan to bless all nations. God will be true even if everyone is a liar. Verse 4 is a quote actually from Psalm 51 verse 4. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance that says God is still right even when humans sin. So God remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. That's the first point I want you to remember. God remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. God made promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that they would father God's chosen people and that he would be their God. Through his chosen people, Israel, God would bless all the nations of the earth. Israel failed to deliver God's message, but God will be faithful to his promises. In fact, God will provide his own faithful Israelite to finally deliver the message to the world. And that faithful Israelite is his own son, Jesus. Jesus offered the faithful obedience that Israel did not. So in Jesus, God keeps and fulfills his promises. Okay, what does that mean for us who are now in Jesus? It means that even when we lose our way, when we fail him, God will be waiting for us. He will not fail us. And we can always still repent and turn to God. I'll give you a personal example. My great-grandparents, my grandparents and my parents were and are all Christian. In fact, my great-grandfather was a Methodist uh, district superintendent. So I was baptized as a three-month-old baby. I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school. But when I was in secondary school, I started to have serious doubts about God. I came across some pseudoscience works that today have been thoroughly refuted. But then to a 13-year-old boy, they were scientific proof that God did not exist. I stopped going to church. Uh, my parents had their own trouble, so they weren't too bothered then. But I left the faith. And even as I wandered away, God remained by my side. He did not abandon me. He slowly called me back. In secondary three, I remember we had to do Bible knowledge as a subject in those days. And I started to read the Bible 
just so I could argue with a guy in class that I didn't like. And in reading the Bible, God drew me back to him. Now I've been a Methodist pastor for over 20 years. God has lifted me higher than my dreams. All I have, all I am, God has given me. Even though I turn from him, even though these days I still fail him, God has never abandoned me. And so if you feel far from God, if you're just coming to church out of habit and there's no joy in it, even if you are deliberately flouting his laws, if you are watching pornography, if you're doing something immoral, something illegal, something bad, even if you don't believe in him, God is waiting to welcome you back. God remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. And generally, we will be unfaithful. In today's passage in Romans, Paul quotes other verses in the Old Testament to say that, for example, none is righteous, no, not one. That comes from Psalm 14. All have turned aside, etc. Also from Psalm 14. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, Psalm 5. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, Isaiah 59. These charges are directed not just against God's people, but also against the whole world. As it says in Romans verse 19, chapter 3, the whole world is accountable to God. You see in this verse, it also says, every mouth may be stopped. What does it mean here that every mouth may be stopped? In Jesus' time, if you were on trial in a Jewish court and you had nothing left to say in your defense, you covered your mouth. If the judge thought that you were obviously guilty and that you shouldn't even be trying to defend yourself, he could order you struck on the mouth so that it may be stopped. And if you read the Bible, you'll see that this happened to both Jesus and Paul. They were struck on their mouths during their trials. So when Paul says that every mouth may be stopped, he means that everyone is obviously guilty of sin and we don't have a defense. Why are we obviously guilty that the whole world is accountable? Because the first human made in the image of God disobeyed God. Adam ate the forbidden fruit of the tree in the Garden of Eden against God's orders. And when he disobeyed God, Adam separated from God and he began to die. Death entered the world through sin. And we, as Adam's descendants, inherited that death. We are mortal due to sin. We live in bodies that will decay and we are dead to God in our sin. But the good news is that in all these Old Testament passages that Paul quoted, the charges against the wicked are followed by the promise that God will rescue his people and fulfill his covenant. That's what Psalm 14, Psalm 5, Isaiah 59, that's what they all say. God will rescue his people and fulfill his covenant. 
What did God do with all the wickedness in the world then? God sent a second Adam to redeem every member of the human race. That second Adam is Jesus. God laid all our sin on Jesus and cancelled the debt incurred by all the sins of humankind. So because of Jesus, God sees us as righteous, even when we are unrighteous. God sees us as righteous, even when we are unrighteous. This is called justification. Justification is God forgiving us because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Because of Jesus, God sees us, God considers us as righteous. It says in today's passage, in verses 24 and 25, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We are justified. Who are the justified? As Paul makes quite clear in Romans chapter 3, God justifies the ungodly and unrighteous. It is only sinners who need to be forgiven. If you are not a sinner, then you don't need to repent. You don't need forgiveness. But then Paul goes on to say that there is no one righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. This is a good verse to memorize. Some of you may remember it uh, as one of the verses in the Navigator's topical memory system. It is a humbling reminder that God justifies the sinner and the ungodly, that Jesus came to save the lost. All you need is faith in Jesus. Why only faith? John Wesley said, it is because God wants to take away the pride in our hearts. If you want to come to God, you must be aware of your own wickedness, your guilt and helplessness. You must come to God as a mere sinner. It is only when you reach the end of your excuses and you stand utterly empty-handed before God that you can look to Jesus as the one who will deal with your sins. Now I want to highlight that justification is being seen as righteous. It's not the same as being made righteous. When you have faith in Jesus, when you believe in him, you are justified. God considers you. God sees you as righteous. After you are justified, then God makes you righteous. That is called sanctification. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is also the subject of another sermon. But I want you to think about it. You who have faith in Jesus, if you are justified, are you moving on to sanctification? Because as a believer in Jesus, you are now part of God's people. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You have been entrusted with the good news, the message that in Jesus we move from death into life. Are you lifting Jesus up so that all may be drawn to him? Or are you turning people away 
from Jesus. How good a messenger, a letter carrier are you? Come, let us pray. Father, we thank you for the good news that in Jesus we have eternal life. That in Jesus our sins are forgiven. We are reconciled to you and that you are our God. Help us then, Lord, to be the holy people you have called us to be. Help us allow you to work in us that we may move into sanctification and grow in love and grace. Help us then to be more like Jesus every day. And we pray this in his name. Amen.